scripture reading this morning is from Psalm chapter 33. And I would invite you to turn there with me on your phone or in a pew Bible. Psalm chapter 33. We're going to read the first 11 verses. And uh, I, I don't think I've ever asked anybody to do this before, uh, but could we stand for the reading of God's word just, just for a second? Um, let's let's uh, hear the word of God together. So Psalm chapter 33, verse 1 says this, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Go ahead and have a seat. As I began my message this morning, we we read from Psalm chapter 33, and that is not really my text this morning that I'm preaching from. What I'd like to do today is I want to ask and answer the question, why do we value the Word of God. Or perhaps you don't value the Word of God, and I want to encourage you that you should, that it will be a source of blessing and rich joy in your life. And so I want to answer this this question this morning. What is it about the Word of God that we value? And I chose to read Psalm chapter 33 for our scripture reading because It addresses that issue, but surprisingly, it doesn't begin with the Word of God. It begins with an encouragement for God's people to sing songs and to shout for joy. The emotion that comes from the Word of God is one of celebration. It's one of happiness. It's one of goodness. And the reason for that celebration and for that joy is grounded in the word of God. And so I want to invite you this morning to experience that joy. If you feel dry, if you feel broken hearted, if you feel depressed, if you feel discouraged, I don't want to trivialize any of those feelings. Those are real. But I want to invite you to see that the word of the Lord is a source of rich blessing. And the psalmist demonstrates that in a few different ways. Verse 4, he says, All of God's work is done in faithfulness. I underline that little word all in my Bible because you know what that means? 
That means that the painful days that we don't enjoy are part of God's enduring faithfulness. All his work is done in faithfulness. Every part of it. And he describes very clearly that God's work is done in accordance with God's word. And he says the word of the Lord is upright. It is good. There is nothing you can say bad about it. And he says very clearly that the word of the Lord is powerful. He says by the the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. When God spoke and said, let there be light, not even for a nanosecond did the light say, eh, I'm going to think about it, I'll get back to you. That's not what happened in the moment of creation. God's authoritative word spoke and light burst into existence. And the scripture says that all of God's creation is like that. All of creation responds obediently to his word. And not only is that true in creation, but it's also true of God's sovereign control of all things. The psalmist says in verse 8, still in in Psalm 33, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Why? Because he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. And he's not just talking about the creation of the world. He says in verse 10, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. Now understand, the psalmist is talking about nations that do not believe God is the Lord. And he is saying that God frustrates their plans, that they cannot carry them out unless God permits it. But it says the counsel of the Lord stands forever and the plans of his heart to all generations. You know what that means? It means that God has never made a plan that didn't work out. God is not on plan B because plan A didn't pan out the way he thought it would. It means that God's word establishes his will. It is just as authoritative as the word of creation And so this morning, I want to take that principle, that truth, that the word of God is powerful, and I want to apply it to the way that we use the scripture in our church and say that we value the preaching and teaching of the word of God because the word of God is still living and active. And so as we preach and teach the word of God, we do so because we believe that God accomplishes his will through his word. You might ask, what proof do you have of that? And I could give two kinds. Okay, so so one of the things that I want to do this morning is I want to show you a few verses from the scripture that talk about the Bible and elevate the word of God for you today. I want to do that. But that's one kind of proof. That's what does the Bible say about itself. The other thing is, is what does the word of God do when someone believes it? And you can hear stories, and many of you could give testimonies of what the word of God has done in your life. How it has freed you from sin. How it has made you alive. How it has given you joy. How you have seen God do miracles as his word is preached and proclaimed. And so I I don't want to minimize those testimonies, but this morning I want to focus a little bit more on the word of God and say heaven and hell are literally at stake. We value the word of God 
and preach the word of God and teach the word of God because it is through the word of God that we hear the good news of salvation and believe. And so one of the passages I want to look to this morning is in 1 Timothy. And one of the verses is 1 Timothy 4.16. But before we go there, I want to go ahead and look at a verse about a chapter earlier than that. Uh, Paul says very clearly that it was through the word of God that Timothy, as a young man, believed. It's actually, excuse me, a few pages over. So 2 Timothy chapter 3 describes what the word of God accomplished in Timothy's life as a young boy. So there's a very personal dimension to this. He says, 1 Timothy 3.15, how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. He's talking about the Bible, especially actually the Old Testament. And he says, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. In other words, the scriptures let you know that you need salvation and they let you know that salvation is available through Jesus Christ. You cannot be saved apart from the word of God. That's 2 Timothy 3.15. In just a second, we'll look at 3.16 as well because it's huge. Paul describes why the word of God is able to do that. Go back with me to 1 Timothy 4 and notice what Paul says to do in a church context. So he's writing to Timothy as a young pastor. He said, verse 11, command and teach these things. So he's telling him how to act and behave. And he emphasizes teaching. Verse 13, he says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture. That's why we read scripture in our services. To exhortation and to teaching. Why? Skip down to verse 15. He says, Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. If I were to put that negatively, Paul would say, if you don't persist in the teaching and preaching of the word of God, if you don't read the scriptures, You and the people of your church are in peril. You are in danger. Put positively, he's saying, be devoted and practice these things because it's through the word of God that we arrive at final salvation. Now, I don't want to be confusing here. We believe that we are saved in a moment by grace through faith when we trust that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. But that begins salvation. That is not the end of salvation. Salvation ends when we are finally totally like Jesus Christ. So when Paul says that when we devote ourselves to the teaching of the word of God, we will be saved, he is saying it is through the word of God that sinners who are saved are changed into saints who love Love and serve the Lord. So it's by the word of God that the church is purified and grows to maturity. So literally, heaven and hell are at stake. We need the word of God in order to be saved. And we need the word of God in order to grow in our salvation. And there are a few verses, I'll just mention them in passing, Romans 10, 9 and 10. Some of you could quote this, others you may maybe not familiar with it, but Paul says in Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is the heart that one believes and is justified with the mouth that one confesses that Jesus is Lord. 
Romans 10, 14, though, says this. Listen, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Paul's point is no preaching, no salvation. It's that simple. If you do not proclaim the word of God, everyone goes to hell. It is that true. And so why are we devoted to the preaching and teaching of the word of God? Because it is necessary for salvation. Your conversion depends on it. Your growth as a Christian depends on it. And I already mentioned what Paul says to Timothy, being devoted to the public reading, to the teaching, to the preaching of scripture. Paul mentions in Galatians 3, 5, that we receive the spirit of God by hearing the word in faith. He is so clear. You receive the Spirit. And and in Galatians, what does the Spirit do? The Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit in you. So you receive the Spirit when you hear the Word of God in faith, and the Spirit of God makes that come alive in you so that the Word of God produces fruit in you. There are so many verses in John 15 that say the same thing. Jesus is very clear that it's when His words abide in us that we produce fruit. Paul is saying... You want to be a loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, and self-controlled person? Then you need to hear the word of God. And you need to receive it in faith and ask the Lord to make it alive in your heart. It depends on the spirit and you receive the spirit when you hear the word of God in faith. Think for just a second. Does anybody here really enjoy being angry? Does does anybody here really enjoy being a hate-filled person? No, you get ulcers. You can't sleep. You punch the pillow at night. No one wants to experience what is very natural for us to experience apart from Christ. So if you wrestle with those emotions that you do not like and you want to change... The scripture says, listen to the word of God. The Holy Spirit will produce fruit in your life as you submit to the word and hear it preached. All of that happens through the word of God. So your conversion depends on it. Your growth as a Christian depends on it. And the Bible is not just something that you know. It is something that you use. Paul describes it as the sword of the spirit. And you see examples like Jesus uses it to fight temptation as Satan comes to him and tempts him again and again. Jesus responds to that temptation with the word of God. And I, and I want to add this. Look, if you want to be a joyful, happier person, then you need to be in fellowship with the Lord. You need to know the promises of God and you need to be able to trust the character of God. Because if you know God's promises but you don't trust his character, you won't believe his promises. So if you want to be able to rest in them and trust them, you need to know God's character. The only way you will know God's character with any assurance is to know what he has done throughout all of the scriptures, Genesis to Revelation. You will not know God well without knowing his word. Some of you have believed, but you do not know who God is because you have not paid attention to his word. And I want to challenge you today, not to lay a guilt trip on you, but to say that you will experience joy and blessing and peace and fellowship with God as you seek him in his word. There is a rich life available to you Because God has given you his word, and I want to invite you to that life of blessing and goodness.
Scripture says, Psalm 1, it, it describes, it says, the one who delights in the law, and at that point, that is the word of God. So the one who delights in the word of God is like a tree planted by streams of living water that will produce fruit in due season, and its leaves will not wither. Have you ever felt like your leaves are withering? Have you ever felt dry? Have you ever felt discouraged? Have you ever felt depressed? God calls all of us to go through things like that at some point. I can tell you, I, I have experienced that at many different points in my lives, and I'm sure that you have too. The scripture teaches that if you, if you are someone who delights in the word of God, it doesn't say that you won't go through that. It says that you will be like a tree planted by a stream. That tree still experiences drought. It still experiences seasons of dryness. But it is firmly rooted and receives its nourishment regularly, no matter what happens around it. Its leaves do not wither and it will produce fruit. That happens as you believe what God says to you in his word. And so this morning, I've described a couple of things that the word of God does for us, why we value it. I, I hope, that I've, hope that I've maybe sold it a little bit for what the word of God does. I want to spend a few minutes talking about why that's true. Because it's very clear what the word of God accomplishes, but why is it that the word of God is powerful? Why is it that the word of God is able to do that? And, and we already mentioned a little bit in Psalm 33, so I'm just going to say some of these things very briefly. But it, so it comes down to this. The word of God is powerful. The word of God is powerful. You get a sense for why God's promises are trustworthy and reliable when you realize what God accomplishes through speaking. And I've already mentioned real briefly creation. The Bible says, Psalm 33, 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. God spoke and the galaxies existed in all their incomprehensible glory. Not only does God speaking create the world and everything in it, God speaks his sovereign will and accomplishes his plan. Psalm 33 says the same thing. If you believe that God's word is powerful, it makes sense that God still accomplishes his plans by his word, by his decreed will. Now that is different than the Bible, but you can read about it in the Bible and you can begin to trust that even though you might not see what God's will is for you today, you can trust the promises of the word of God and know that God's plans never fail and he never breaks his promises. And the scriptures describe God's sovereign rule, I believe, really on every page of the Bible. God rules as a joy-filled king. The Bible says that he laughs at the wicked who defy him, that their efforts are hopelessly futile, and that they only serve to accomplish God's plan. So let me give you a handful of verses that show this. I've already mentioned Psalm 33, 9. It says, he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it came to pass. Not only that, but, but also that God frustrates the plans of the ungodly. And he ensures that his own plans always come to pass. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10 says this. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my 
purpose. When God says that he declares the end from the beginning, he's not just describing it as if he knows it and can predict it with great accuracy. He is saying, I will accomplish all my purpose. This is why Paul can say with such confidence, all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That would be a lie if God did not control all things. Because there would be some things that happened that would be contrary to the will of God. But the reality is, God says he will accomplish all. All his purpose. And if you are in Christ, his purposes for you are good. And so you can have great confidence that even in car accidents, and even with the death of a child, even with some of the most horrible and painful things in the world, you can have confidence that your heavenly father is accomplishing good for you, even when you can't feel it, even when you can't see it. This is deeper than any kind of superficial Christianity that says, if you just believe, God will bless you. That lays a heap of responsibility on you because when things that go wrong happen, you feel like, well, maybe I just didn't believe enough. The scripture does not teach that. The scripture teaches that God accomplishes all his purposes, that he is completely in control, and that he accomplishes those purposes by his spoken, decreed Word. So his word is powerful and his word is certain. Now, I want to take that truth and I want to apply it to the content of God's word. So what is this book, this Genesis to Revelation collection of history and letters and prophecy and law and poetry? What is it? Well, there are two verses. Maybe you're familiar, maybe not. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, and it's about all of scripture, not just part of it. 2 Timothy 3.16 says very clearly that all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. He says all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We don't lack anything we need in order to obey God. And notice what he says, all scripture is breathed out. Not just the parts that you like, every part of it. In fact, the parts that you dislike are probably the things that you need to hear the most because it's demonstrating that either you don't fully understand what God is saying or you're hanging on to some sort of sin in your life or you are listening to the world more than you are listening to God and you need to humble yourself and submit to the word of God, not because you just need to get in line but because you will never experience knowing God and the fullness of his blessing as long as you are living outside of his will. So the scripture teaches that you will be blessed by listening to all of scripture. And it teaches that God is the one who inspired it. He is the one who moved the writers along so that they wrote the words that he wanted them to write. Now notice, this is the only verse that says this. Second Peter 1, 20 and 21 says almost the same thing, but just in a slightly different way. So go with me over to 2 Peter and look at, the, at how the Apostle Peter describes the Holy Scriptures. So 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, he says this, 
know this first of all, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Meaning, you can't just look at the Bible and make it mean whatever you want to. Why? Because you didn't write it. You didn't come up with it. He says, verse 21, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see this in the New Testament. The the, the Bible speaks about the inspiration of Scripture. By saying that God moved people along to write. You see it in the Old Testament as the prophets again and again say, Thus says the Lord, or the word of the Lord came to so and so and said this. So the word of God is true and reliable and his purposes stand because he always accomplishes his word. Now these verses make sweeping claims about every part of the Bible. So let me say this, are there parts that offend you? God wrote those parts. Are there parts that you don't understand? God wants you to think about them. And are there things that you treasure? Well, God wants you to rejoice in those. All of the scriptures point to Jesus. And without any portion of the scripture, you will not fully know who Jesus is. And I wish I had more time to talk about everything that the Bible contains. It it, it has law and poetry and prophecy and history. And there is rare gold to be found in here. But let me just take a second and talk about poetry. Poetry is one of those things that, that... a lot of people have a bad taste for it. They, they feel like it, it's, it's just, it's terrible. And I'll, I'll be honest, a lot of poetry is terrible. So you're not wrong. Here's the thing. The poetry in the Bible gives us the ability to experience emotions in a godly way. So is your heart broken? You can weep with a psalmist that says, He's not experiencing God and he doesn't know where God is and he's crying out in anguish. And so when you don't have words because you are in anguish, you can cry out with the anguish of the Psalms. There is tremendous freedom to weep with the scriptures. Or if you're rejoicing, there's tremendous freedom to rejoice with the good blessings of God. And the scriptures give us language and help us understand that richness. Sometimes conservative Christians act like they have a demon, you know, like they're not joy-filled people. The scriptures correct that too. They let you know that you should be full of joy. You should be full of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And the poetry of the Bible gives you that experience It invites you to the full range of human emotion from the depths of despair to the heights of joy. And so I want to encourage you that all of the Bible is something that we need. And and for the sake of time, I've only mentioned one thing. But all of the questions of philosophy are addressed in rich, amazing detail. And all of the Bible teaches us to look to Christ I want to encourage you, do not neglect this book. And how should we read it? Well, Deb was talking a little bit about the the women's Bible study ministry that that she's going to be starting. They're using a book written by a woman named Jen Wilkin. And and I listened to an interview with Jen this past week, and, and she has this great phrase. She says, we must never use the scriptures like Xanax. Do you know what she means by that? How how do you use Xanax? Well, if you're feeling anxious, you take a pill. Well, and sometimes 
When you're feeling anxious or uncertain, you might not reach for a pill bottle, and you might instead reach for the scriptures, and you might look for some precious promise that that talks about God's great love for you. And, And that's not totally wrong. You should lean on those promises, but here's the thing. Sometimes when you're feeling anxious, it's because you're hanging on to a sin in your life that you ought to forsake. And what you really need is a passage of scripture that's going to confront you, that's going to cause you to forsake your sin, not encourage you to stay in it. So if you only look for the verses that you love, you're treating the Bible like Xanax. You're treating it as as medication, and you need more than a few precious promises. You need all of God's word. That's why I believe so passionately in preaching through entire books of the Bible, because I I am guilty of this too. If I chose passages to preach on week after week, there are passages I would very deliberately neglect and topics that I would never talk about. But if I preach through the word of God as he inspired it, as entire books, then we will talk about everything that God wants us to know. God did not inspire the the words of scripture in snippets that would fit on a billboard. He inspired books. And we need to know them. I want to encourage you to know all of scriptures, even the parts that you find are troubling. Remember that Paul said to Timothy, the scriptures are good for exhortation and rebuke. It means sometimes you and I need a rebuke from the word of God. Sometimes we want to deny its truth, especially when it goes against our culture and says things that are not popular. And it's at those times that we need the word of God most. C.S. Lewis once said, it's the parts of the Bible that bother us the most that we have the most to learn from. And if you are offended by the Bible, The problem is not with the scriptures, it's with you. And so you need to lean in and understand what God is saying. So what should you and I do with this? My last point today is about listening to the word of God. And that's such an obvious application. But some of you need to begin following a plan to read all of the Bible. Some of you have never read all of the Bible and you ought to. And so if that's you, do not wait until January I would encourage you, start a plan today. Start a plan tomorrow. Stick with it. There are good plans that give you five days a week so you can miss two days and stay on track. There are great plans that will help you get all of the scripture. And I want to encourage you to aim for those goals. Some of you ought to to study a book like we're about to begin Luke next week. When I preach next week, we're going to start our next series on Luke. And so I want to encourage you, you may need to begin going in depth with a single book like Luke. The way I've done it for the past several weeks is I try to read six chapters a day, which makes sure I get through the book in four days. So six chapters a day, it takes me about 30 minutes because I read slowly, I read carefully, I try to pay attention, I make little notes. 30 minutes a day, you can be through the entire book of Luke every single week. And if you do that with me as we go through the book, you will see rare gold that you would never see if you just read it quickly and casually. Ladies, some of you need to take seriously joining the ladies' Bible study with Deb. The book that they're going through is fantastic. And it will help you experience the scriptures as an entire book, not just a few verses. So let me mention this as we close, but listening to the word of God, not only, because I could give you a bunch of advice and tips and things like that, and there's enough of that. Really, some of you should just figure out what you need to do that will work well for you to get you in the word of God. 
I want to end noticing what God says about his word himself. So this is a verse from Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 2. And this is a promise of God about his word. And he says this. This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Do you read the word of God and tremble? Do you read the word of God and believe this is true? This speaks to me. This calls my sin out. Do you read the word of God and recognize that Jesus is returning and we need to be ready to stand before him? Do you read the word of God and recognize that there's coming a day when God will judge the world? And so we tremble at what God says he will do? And do you tremble at the love of God poured out for you in Christ? And recognize how tremendous his love for you is. I want to call you to tremble at the word of God. The Bible says, submit yourselves. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And he will lift you up. And today, if you hear his voice, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. We hear God's voice in his word. Jesus said the same thing. John 15, 7, he says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and my Father will give it to you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Jesus is saying, if you want to have your prayers answered, you need to know the word of God and not just know it, it needs to be alive in you. Do the words of Christ abide in you? Think about what that word abide means. It means that it lives in you. And that means when Jesus says something in the Bible, you don't kill his word by contradicting it or dismissing it or writing it off. You don't forget it. You don't neglect it. It instead becomes part of the way you think and act and you apply it everywhere you go. Have you ever noticed that, that, that when someone is obsessed with like a particular movie, it becomes part of the way that they talk? I, I did this in high school with The Princess Bride. You know, Enduring faithfulness, highness. You know, this is one of my favorite, favorite lines. Not only could I quote it, but it became part of my sort of sarcastic sense of humor. So that it's sort of the goofy, backhanded way that they talk. Those words were abiding in me and I appreciated and enjoyed the humor so much that it shaped my personality in a small way. And you can see that, you know, you know guitar players often, they'll, they'll watch movies like Wayne's World and they'll, they'll start talking like deadheads and, and the things that abide in us shape us, even without the Spirit of God. Now, if that's true of films and books, how much more true is it of the living and active Word of God that if we listen and believe in faith, that the Spirit will work in our hearts so that we produce the fruit that God brings about as we hear in faith. And let me be clear, Jesus' words that he's talking about are not just the red letters. All of the word of God are the words of Christ. The Holy Spirit that inspired all of the scriptures is called the Spirit of Christ. And so I want to urge you this morning to be dedicated and devoted to hearing the word of God, to listening to it, to letting it speak into your life, And so let me end where I began. Why is this so important? Why does this book matter? Because without it, you will not know God. You will not know hope. You will not experience joy. 
And I want you to know God's comfort and God's conviction. So let me urge you to be devoted to the scriptures. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, humble our proud hearts. And Lord, I ask that you would lift up those who are broken. I pray that you would let your words remain in us, Lord. Some of us are weak and we want that, but but we struggle to remember. We struggle to be dedicated and devoted. And so I ask for your help. I pray that your spirit would make us steadfast. I pray that you would give us habits and disciplines that let us take in more and more of your word. And I pray that you would build us up by the same word that spoke the world into existence, that called us out of darkness into light. I ask that you would establish us in your word. Make us strong. And I pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. As we turn and and celebrate the Lord's table, I want to actually connect it to the word of God like this. Um, If you've ever read the Gospel of John, you may remember how Jesus talks about how he needs to do everything that the Father decrees. How he delights to obey the Father. Well, we are about to remember what the Father planned and decreed before the world was made. Revelation says, the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus was born and died and rose again by the word of God. And so as we celebrate communion, we are celebrating what God has done and has brought to pass. That all of his promises have come true in Christ. And we are resting in his body and in his blood. So in just a moment, I want to open the communion tables and you can come and celebrate with us. You you don't need to be a member of our church to do this, but you do need to know the Lord. And I want to encourage you, if you know the Lord, to take a few moments and to reflect Silently, the scripture says that we should not take this lightly, but that we should examine ourselves and then partake of the body and blood of the Lord. Because it's through the Lord's blood and it's through the Lord's body that we receive the forgiveness of sins. And we are celebrating that today and we are obeying the word of God by remembering it. So let me read what Paul wrote to us in 1 Corinthians about how we as a church should do this. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. Lord, we deserve to be punished for our own sin and in your great love for us, you took the punishment on our behalf. 
And we want to remember what you experienced for us. And Lord, we thank you for your blood that forgives our sins, Lord. That, that Scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And you have shed your blood so that we could be forgiven. And at this time, Lord, we want to say thank you and we want to rest in what you have done. I ask you would bless us as we remember. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.